In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome to another episode of Strange Planet, and thanks as always for sticking me in your ear. I mean that in a nice way, the nicest way possible. <laughs> we are going to delve into the world of cryptozoology, Bigfoot, dogmen, werewolves, other mysteries, and also how these things figure into works of fiction that my next guest is just constantly producing. D.A. Roberts is with us. He's an author of fiction primarily in the horror, dystopian, and science fiction genres. Hails from Lebanon, Missouri, now lives in Springfield, Missouri, with his wife and sons. And for most of his career, D.A. served his community in law enforcement. I find that uh, actually quite interesting. And so many, not so many, but a number, a good number of guests on this program that are involved in the paranormal, 
and in the world of cryptozoology have been involved in law enforcement. He's been investigating and researching cryptids for more than four decades and is the Region 2 Director of the North American Dogman Project. He's been featured on numerous podcasts and shows for his writing and cryptid research. And again, his work includes The Nightmare Hunter, the series codename The Lakeview Man, Ragnarok, Rising Saga, and of course, a very popular Apex Predator series. D.A. Roberts, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, you've got a new Apex Predator uh, book in the series. This is number five? Yeah, it'd be the fifth in the series. It just released last month. It's called Apex Predator Dark Moon. And uh, for those not familiar, what is the Apex Predator series all about? Uh, the Apex Predator series follows a group of Native Americans who are hunting dangerous cryptids. All right. And those would include dog, uh, dog man, werewolves. Bigfoot, werewolves, everything mm-hmm. in between. All right, so um, we've talked previously on my uh, my radio show, mm-hmm. and um, this is kind of a different audience. So I want to I want to take us back to um, your uncle, who mm-hmm. was very um, very much inspirational in terms of you getting into this whole field. Tell me about your uncle. He was he part Cherokee? He was uh, actually uh, full blood Cherokee. He. Um, he married my aunt, my mother's sister, um, and I practically, you know, was a second dad to me. I, I was at his house as much as I was my own. Uh, learned a lot from my uncle Buddy. His his name was James, but everybody just called him Buddy. Um, but he was just an absolute inspiration. Um, he's the one that taught me so much of the of the lore uh, from the Native American perspective about Bigfoot and Dogman. Uh, just an absolute amazing guy. Uh, taught me how to hunt and track and fish and all the things a, a, a kid growing up in the Ozarks needs to do. Right. And he, he was a firm believer in Bigfoot, right? He saw one. Absolutely. He, he saw it actually multiple times on his property. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. He told me the first time he saw it, he, uh, his house had a, a walkout basement with a sliding glass door. And the first time he saw it, he was walking down the stairs and it was standing at the sliding glass door looking in. He said it filled the whole sliding glass door. And when it saw him, his house was on a bluff above the Niangua River, and it went down about a 70-degree incline, grabbing trees as it went down. He said there's no way he could have followed it down that bluff, but that was the first time he saw it. He'd seen it several times while hunting. And wasn't there a, a point where you, you, I mean, you had an interest in this. I think you were reading about it, maybe watching documentaries about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And didn't he, like, pull you aside one time at a family gathering and tell you like, Hey, everything that you, you hear and you're reading about is true. I, uh, I had seen the Patterson Gimlin film back in the mid seventies and we watched all the old Leonard Nimoy in search of, and I was just absolutely focused on Bigfoot. I, I, I would ask my, my cousins and my relatives and everybody, and they all thought I was crazy. I'm like, have you seen Bigfoot? And they're like, Oh, whatever. Cause I was fairly young, but uh, we were, we were all at an uncle buddy's one time, um, cooking out and while everybody was outside running around uncle buddy picked me up and put me in his lap and i was maybe five or six at the time and he said he said well my first name i I go by da but my first name is doug and he said douglas i'm going to tell you something he says and i want you to understand this i'm like what's that he goes these things you're asking about are real and i've seen them on this property and he wasn't the kind of guy who spun yarns he wasn't he didn't drink uh very very serious guy Uh, Sorry about that. Knocked something off my desk, but just a, 
he wasn't the kind of guy that was that would make up something like that. He was just an absolute down to earth guy. And when he told me that, it just cemented it in my head. And from then on, any chance I got to be alone with him, I would ask him and he would tell me bits of lore. Uh, if I went out there to hunt with him for a weekend, we would sit around by the, by the campfire at the camp and he'd tell me stories. And it was just amazing. I can't imagine being five or six and having an adult a figure that you admire and respect telling you it's true. It's true. That must be chilling. It absolutely cemented it in my mind uh, because I, I was convinced that I had heard one. Uh, My parents had told me that it was a screech owl uh, that was outside my bedroom window every night for almost two weeks. And they wouldn't let me sleep in my bedroom during that time. And they told me it was a screech owl, but there were no trees outside my window. <laughs> so they knew. They knew they were yeah. protecting you from the truth. Yeah. And, and, and I had always believed that's what it was, but my parents would never say. And Uncle Buddy, when I told him about that, he said, yeah, it wasn't an owl. You, you had something outside your window. It was probably trying to reach through the window after you. Because back then, we didn't have central heat and air. We lived on a farm. Uh, we had a wood stove that we burned wood in the wintertime to stay warm. And in the summertime when it was warm, you had a box fan in your window. And that was pretty much it. Right. I remember those days. Yeah, I remember those days. So were you frightened by the prospect of uh, a, a Bigfoot being out there? Or, or did it just make you more curious, like, I want to see one? A little of both, really. Uh, as, a, as a kid, it did scare me, but I'm I'm uh, crazily inquisitive about things like that. My mother used to tell me I would blunder in where angels feared to tread. I always wanted to know. And so when did it begin for you in terms of actively seeking seeking one out? Well, by the time I was old enough to start going camping with my friends without an adult, we were looking in every nook, cranny, cave, and hollow we could find. Um so by the time I was in my my early teens, me and my friends were already you know exploring and and, and actively looking. And where were some of the places that you looked? Oh, we looked all over Missouri back then. Uh, there were campgrounds all over around uh, Table Rock Lake, around Lake of the Ozarks, uh, along the Niangua River Valley. I can't tell you the number of times we floated that river and would watch the sides of the of the river looking for anything. Uh, the Gasconade River. Uh, uh, the big piney and the little piney. There's so many rivers and lakes in this area that there's almost an unlimited amount of amount of places you could look. Uh, there's a lake called Palm de Terre. Uh, went, went camping up there with my dad one night, and I'm pretty sure we heard vocalization, vocalizations across the lake. Dad, dad was telling me it was a, it was a loon or something like that, but they're really not native to this area. Potato Lake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Potato Lake. I don't want to put you on the spot, DA, um, but can you can you approximate that what that vocalization sounded like? It was kind of a warbling sound, kind of a I can't really make it. Uh, it was it was distant and it was deep, uh, and that's what made me think it wasn't a bird because it sounded like it had some pretty serious lung capacity. But uh, at the time, my dad's like, "Oh no, don't worry about it. There's, there's nothing over there." Uh, probably a bird or a loon or something like that. But, uh, you know, as I got older, I, I started digging into the wildlife around here and knew that those weren't native to this area. So it was it was kind of a almost howl, but kind of had a warbling kind of trill to it. I can't reproduce it. I'm sure, though, you've over the years, you've heard many audio recordings of what might be Bigfoot. Have you ever heard that sound again in any of those recordings? 
I heard one that was recorded here in Missouri in the Mark Twain National Forest, and it sounded very similar. It wasn't identical, but it was very similar. So have you come close to, to catching a glimpse or having an encounter with Sasquatch? I've had two what I believe are very close encounters, although I didn't get to actually see it, uh, both on my Uncle Buddy's land. Um, I was sitting in a tree stand one morning, and I heard something approaching me behind, from behind the tree, and it was a good-sized tree. Uh, and he had 160 acres right up against 5,000 acres of conservation land, uh, and he didn't allow anybody to hunt on his land but family. Um, and he, when I say he lived in the middle of nowhere, it was in the middle of nowhere. There, there was the chances of it being another person were very slim because I was in the deep woods, well away from a road. But I'm in this in this deer stand, and I hear something approaching. I'm like, that's on two legs. Just you could tell by the way the the, the gait, the way it walked. And I thought, is Uncle Buddy coming out here? And then I realized it was much too heavy. And I went, hey, who's back there? And I heard 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 it stop. It just came to a complete stop. And then it made a noise kind of like this. And went. And then I heard it walking away. And by the time I got down out of the tree, it was gone. And I lit up my headlamp and I could see the impressions where there something had walked through the leaf litter bipedally, but it was always already gone by the time I got out of the tree stand. Another time on that same land, same tree stand, but in another part of the woods, I'd moved it a ways. Uh, I was up and was waiting for a good buck. I mean, I had buck fever. I really wanted to get a good one. And I was hunting with a British 303, which if you know anything about firearms, that's uh, that's got a lot of knockdown power. And uh, sure enough, after you know, hours of waiting, finally I did get presented with a good sized buck. And I estimated through the scope that he was probably about a, about a 12 pointer. He was big. And I hit him, hit him broadside, just perfect. And he went down immediately. But before I could get out of the tree, he clapped back to his feet and, and, and headed off through the woods. And with, that's not unusual, having to track a deer after you've shot one. But I get over to where, he had, where it fell, and there was lung tissue on the ground. So I knew I'd got it. I knew I got it good. He wasn't going far. And there was a, a significant quantity, a quantity of blood on the ground. Tracking him was not difficult because these weren't little bitty drops of blood. They were big drops of blood on the leaves. So I follow it, and it jumped down into a ravine which was about 20 feet down. And uh, it was on a part of the land Uncle Buddy told me not to hunt on. And, uh, but I was wanting, I was looking for my deer. So I couldn't get down without breaking my leg because it was such a drop down into a dry, a dry creek bed. So I had to backtrack about, about 200 yards before I found a spot where I could jump down in safely. And by the time I got back to the spot, I found where the deer had been. It had fallen into leaves and sticks on the ground. And obviously from the amount of blood, it had bled out on that spot, but there wasn't another blood drop, another, another track, nothing. I spiraled out for about 50 yards in every direction I could go. It didn't get up. It didn't walk away. It, it wasn't dragged away. And at the time, there were no black bears in Missouri. They'd only been re reintroduced within the last 20 years. And this would have been about 1985 or 86. Wait a second. Am I, am I hearing this correctly? The deer was gone? It was gone. And it was, it was a good size one, probably 140, 150 pounds. I mean, I couldn't have carried it out. I would have had to have dragged it. And I was a pretty, pretty good sized kid at the time. Um, even field dressed, it would have been heavy, would have been too heavy to drag, but there weren't any drag marks. It, there were mountain lions reported in Missouri, but if a mountain lion had gotten a hold of it, it would have had to have dragged it. Right. If it had been coyotes, they would have destroyed the kill on the spot. I've seen coyote kills and they, they make an incredible amount of mess when they're, when they're eating something, but there wasn't a tuft of fur. There wasn't a track. There wasn't anything. It was just gone. 
So I got on the radio and I called my uncle buddy. I had a little uh, Motorola radio with me. And I said, hey, my deer is gone. And he said, where are you at? And I told him, he said, you're not supposed to be on that part of the land. I said, well, I was tracking it. I didn't want it to get away. I said, I think somebody's out here and took my deer. He said, there's nobody out there. You need to get out of there. I said, well, I want to get my deer. He says, Doug, I'm telling you, you are not going to find it. Get out of there. And I backtracked, got out of there and went back there. And he said, don't ever go back in that part of the land. That's a, that's a part of the land I don't hunt. Uh, he said, be very careful if you're even close to that. And um, I never, never found the deer. I mean, it was just completely gone. My word. Did Uncle Buddy ever sort of unpack that little, uh, that little warning? Like, I never, I never hunt there. Be very careful. Yeah, he said that there were parts of the land that were off limits because we, because something else was hunting there. And I knew what he meant. I knew he meant that, that it was, it was this, these, these Bigfoot creatures uh, because it was the section of land that butted right up against the conservation land. And there was about 90 acres of his land that was fine for hunting, but that, uh, that back section right up by conservation land, he said, stay out of, and it was really thickly overgrown and hard to get into anyway. Uh, so, you know, he, he said, just don't go back there, stay out of there. He said, if you go back there and linger around too long, you're going to run into something you don't want to run into and it won't be friendly. Um, he would routinely, uh, he had a big trough behind his house where he would catch, uh, catfish on jug lines and throw catfish live in this big trough. And then we'd have catfish fries once he had a, a pretty good collection of them in there. Uh, and from time to time, they would just all be gone out of that trough. Wow. Uh, it sounds like the Bigfoot in Missouri are a little more aggressive than what we've been told. We, we, you know, I hear from researchers who say, oh, they're, they're gentle giants and they communicate with me telepathically and so forth. Well, yeah, I, I have not heard that being the common, commonality around here in the Midwest. The Midwest variety seem to be far more aggressive and very territorial. Uh, where does the Bigfoot legend fit in with Momo the monster. Are they one and the same? I think uh, the Momo, Momo the monster, which actually was cited here in Missouri for the first time in 1972, <clears throat> excuse me, in 1972 near Louisiana, Missouri. And there are still sightings coming in from that area today, but from the description and the, the, the uh, physical like uh, tracks that were found, um, I, I believe it was just a, a type of Bigfoot because they, they described it as having a much larger head than what is typical. But I think that might just might have been like a, a rough of hair, like a mane almost. I think it was just a particularly hairy version. And three-toed, as I recall the legend. Mm -hmm. Some of them were, some of the tracks were three-toed, uh, which uh, actually seems to be common. I mean, I'm, I can't explain why it might be interbreeding. I don't, I don't estimate these things to have a huge population. Uh, but, you know, could it be three-toed because of that, or it could have just been the way the toes impressed in the ground. I've seen overlap in tracks where even dogs look like they only had had two pads. Ah, interesting. Interesting. You it's just odd, uh, odd variations in how the tracks were formed. You mentioned the Patterson-Gimley film. Mm -hmm. And um, have you seen any other, I mean, that's kind of held up as almost like the Zapruder film of <laughs> cryptozoology. Have you seen... Any other more recent footage of Bigfoot that you find very compelling? I've, I've seen some really good footage, but the problem is, is the, and the reason I don't think the Patterson-Gimlin footage will ever be really dethroned as the, uh, 
as the smoking gun footage, so to speak. Uh, I think because of the modern age, the advent of Photoshop and video shop, it's much harder to accept video and, and photographic images at, at face value. Uh, they have to be thoroughly, thoroughly checked anymore because it's so easy to fake a video. But there was a video recorded in Canada by some loggers uh, where you can see a large creature. You can't see a lot of detail because it was filmed from the distance, but it throws an approximately 30 foot tree just across a field, just chucks it. And there's no way that was a person. I think I've seen that one. Yeah, it's a great video. All right. We'll take a quick time out. Come back. D.A. Roberts, the latest in his Apex Predator series, Dark Moon. Stay with us. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The truth will set you free. Free, free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. D.A. Roberts stays with us. Fiction author primarily in the horror, dystopian, and science fiction genre. Hails from the uh, great state of Missouri. And uh, the latest in his Apex Predator series is called Dark Moon. Uh, the Nightmare Hunter is the uh, the other series. Um, code name. What's Code Name about? Uh, the, the series is called Code Name Wild Hunt, and it's about a military unit that hunts dangerous cryptids. Uh, I heard I've heard rumors of story, rumors and stories from different people over the years that uh, there is actually a military special forces unit that does that very thing. Uh, and so I created that based on some of the accounts, like uh, there are accounts like um, in South Carolina, there was some people that went missing and supposedly a group of special forces showed up and went in and found the creatures responsible. And I've heard multiple other stories where special forces teams were, were brought in for a missing person uh, only to you know, disappear later with something in a truck. Uh, so I, I kind of based the, the idea of Codename Wild Hunt on that. Um, and I think it's uh, kind of close to home, but it's also, I took a lot of liberties with it as well. That's a great concept for a book. I mean, it's, so it's like an e, a real life X-Files, uh, except this is a military unit and they are hunting for these, these cryptids. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. The first uh, one's about a Bigfoot creature. The second one in the series is about uh, a Wendigo. And the third one in the series so far is about a genetically altered creature. Dogmen, um, when, when did that, when, when were the first sightings of dogmen in America, do you know? 
Uh, some of the earliest recorded sightings of dogmen came from, from uh, French trappers that traveled through the uh, Mississippi River Valley, uh, specifically in Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, where they reported seeing what they recall, what they called the, the loop guru which is French for werewolf. But in, in that area around the land between the lakes, the sightings go back to the late 1600s. Wow. But they're not the same, are they? Werewolves and dogmen? Werewolves, according to classic lore, have the ability to, whether it's voluntarily or involuntarily, involuntarily uh, shift from human into a werewolf and then back again uh, during the time of the full moon. Uh, me personally, I think that the werewolf legend, the, the legend of the werewolf might have come about as an attempt to explain these type of creatures. Uh, creatures can, existing with the, the body of a human and the head of a dog are not uncommon throughout history. Um, you've got Anubis, which is a great example from, from, uh, from um, Egyptian mythology. You've also got accounts of uh, both Marco Polo and Christopher Columbus encountering these creatures on islands during their travels. Uh, the condition is called cynocephali, and it basically translates as, as having the, a person having the head of a dog. And it's mentioned both by, by Christopher Columbus and Marco Polo. And if you look at Catholic, Catholic iconography, uh, St. Christopher is known as the dog-headed saint, and you can find Catholic picture, uh, Catholic drawings of him in, in illuminated manuscripts that depict him in full Catholic raiments with the head of a dog. Um, my um, recollection of, of dogmen, based on interviews with, I'm um, trying to remember the author of The Beast of Bray Road up in Wisconsin. Uh, Linda Godfrey? Linda Godfrey, yes. Amazing lady. Yeah. Um, is it these, these things are can be aggressive. Most encounter stories with these creatures are aggressive. Uh, the most common uh, phrases used to describe them is either hellish or demonic. Uh, that comes up in report sightings time and time again. Um, and encounters that, that people have had, especially in the area of land between the lakes, they talk about the feeling of being hunted. Uh, and, and even in some cases, uh, there are alleged accounts of them attacking and killing people. Did you see one in, in, in that area known as Land Between the Lakes? Yes, I did. Uh, actually, actually, about a year ago, uh, Nick Valente, who's the Region 3 director of the North American Dogman Project, him and I met up in Land Between the Lakes and spent a week in there digging around. And on our last day there, we were driving slowly down the road, just watching the trees, and we were coming back from an area known as Demumbers Bay. And just as we'd cost, crossed a small concrete bridge, I looked to my right. And I, at first, I didn't notice anything until it moved. It turned its head to kind of watch us. And I saw a creature, an upright creature, probably about six and a half to seven feet tall, completely black, leaning against a tree. And I yelled at Nick and he stopped the vehicle and he turned and saw it. When it realized we were looking at it, it turned and broke for a, for a ravine and it was gone in just a few steps. That thing was incredibly fast, but I got about a 10 to 15 second look at it. The, the irony is, is I had my phone in my hand with the camera app up to film something if I'd seen it, but I was so engrossed in what I was seeing. I was so shook. I never even thought of the camera until afterwards. Yeah. People don't understand that when you, and you say, well, where's the video footage? You had a camera with you, didn't you? They don't understand that. It's the same with, you know, a lot of UFO sightings. You are so, you become so transfixed. You're in such awe, I guess, uh, that you, you just don't think about recording it. 
Right. And, and I would have actually planned to record if I'd saw something, but uh, the, when in the moment, it was just such a paradigm shift. You just, it goes from being theory to absolute reality when you're looking at one. And uh, I was so shook. It was, we, we, we had stopped the vehicle, got out and headed over to the tree where it was at. Uh, before I even remembered, I had the camera in my hand and, and I was like, oh my God, I should have filmed this. And Nick's like, I thought you were filming. I said, I didn't have it running. But we could see the impressions in the leaf litter, which was about six to seven inch, inches deep. You could see the big impressions where it had taken off, uh, but the, the ground was too hard for us to find any kind of tracks. And of course, there was too much leaf litter, uh, but it moved in kind of a weird bounding stride, almost like loping, like it bounced kind of to its right, then left, then right, then it was down on the ravine. Uh, just kind of an odd loping gait to it. Uh, it had a long bushy tail, was completely covered in black fur, and it had a head somewhere between a, a German shepherd and a wolf. Uh, but it was looking right at me. The, the snout seemed to be a little shorter, not as pointed like a German shepherd, but it, it was a big creature and it was powerfully built. Uh, tell me more about the land between lakes. Land between the lakes used to be known as land between the rivers. Uh, it was uh, an area that's been known as a hot spot for all kinds of strange encounters uh, dating back since you know, the first settlers uh, settlers found that area. And even before the Native Americans had lore of it being being haunted ground. Uh, but in 1963, President Kennedy authorized the Tennessee Valley Authority to dam both of those 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 rivers and created the two lakes. Um, off the top, one of them is called uh, Kentucky Lake, and I cannot remember the name of the other one off the top of my head. I apologize. But the, those are two massive lakes. And land between the lakes itself is now this gigantic peninsula trapped between these two lakes. And, and why does it seem to be such a hotspot for uh, cryptids? You know, I, I wish I knew exactly what attracts them there. Uh, a lot of dogman sightings seem to occur uh, around or near old cemeteries, and the land between the lakes is just dotted with them. Uh, there used to be people that lived all over that, that area, uh, but when the Tennessee Valley Authority uh, built those dams, they basically uh, used eminent domain and, and forced everyone off their land. All right, another time out, back with uh, D.A. Roberts as we talk Dogmen, Bigfoot, and other cryptids. Stay with us. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. D.A. Roberts stays with us, daroberts.net. Uh, let's see, we've got uh, thenightmarehunter.com. The Nightmare Hunter, of course, a series of books, Codename, uh, and the latest uh, Apex Predator book in that series is called Dark Moon. Um, what, where are you at in, in terms of your, your most recent research of cryptids? There are areas in Missouri that I'm still actively actively uh, investigating. 
there's an area uh, called the Joe Bald Camp Campground. Uh, it was a camp, a popular campground here in Missouri that the Army Corps of Engineers shut down back in the early 2000s, and every attempt to reopen it has been completely completely blocked. Uh, there's a lot of weird stuff that's been seen around that area, including one time when I was actually writing the book The Lakeview Man. My wife, my and one of my and my best friend Steve and his wife, we drove down there uh, late one evening uh, to shoot a promo video for Lakeview Man. Uh, and at the time, we you know went down there. We shot this short video. Didn't seem to be anything weird going on. Uh, you'd hear all the night sounds, but when later when I got home and went to upload the video, I noticed quite a bit of eye shine, which is not unusual in Missouri. Uh, you can't go out in the woods without seeing something eye shine. Um, but later, after the video was up on YouTube, uh, one of the people that watches my my YouTube channel said, "Hey, there's something moving in the background behind you." Uh, at first, I didn't see it. Uh, I, um, I I was like, I've watched this video about a thousand times. I've never seen anything moving. So I'm telling you, just across that little concrete bridge, something moved behind that tree. So I had some guys I know that do video analysis tear it apart. And sure enough, at one point in the video, for a few seconds, you can see something about nine feet off the ground with a head like a dog peer out behind the tree and duck back when my flashlight goes over. You can clearly see it move. Uh, the video is available on my YouTube channel. Oh, how do we how do we see that? What is your YouTube channel? If you uh, go to YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash D-A-X Machina, that's the name of my podcast. And it, you can find all my videos there, but it's called the Joe Bald Breakdown video. Amazing. I mean, that might be a smoking gun. I, I, I don't recall ever seeing any dogmen video. It's um, it's not super clear because it was shot on, on a uh, uh, cell phone, but you can clearly see something. Now, when you look at the enhanced, the enhanced stills are, are on the video as well, on the breakdown video. Um, the stills are, are clear, and I know what I think it is, but uh, I, I can't say it's like, the, you know, definitive proof or anything like that. I, I like to have people, you know, form their own opinion when they look at it, but there's a lot of people have watched that video, and they're like, yeah, the something is definitely moving behind you, and it was close to us. And like I said, I've spent most of my time, in, my adult time in law enforcement for something that big to sneak up on me is kind of terrifying. I'll bet. Uh, give us the website again, youtube.com slash. D-A-X Machina, M-A-C-H-I-N-A. D-A-X. Machina. M. A M A C H I N A. Okay. D-A-X Machina. All right. What does Machina mean? Um, there's a literary term called deus ex machina, and it literally means machine of the gods. And it's an old writing trope where a writer writes themselves into a corner and something miraculous happens to save the character. Well, I, I liked the name of the trope. And since I, since I uh, interview authors and, and have other researchers and we talk about cryptids and everything, I wanted to have some alliteration to my, to my uh, literary field. And so I changed it from deus ex machina to D-A-X machina which basically translates as the machine of DA. Um, so what do you think dog, the Dogman is? Because some people think it might be hyperdimensional. It's seen around sacred sites in places like England, ruins, uh, burial mounds here in North America. Uh, so they ascribe something supernatural to it. Do you think there is a supernatural component? Personally, I don't know. I mean, I, 
I'm a very firm in the camp of physical evidence person. Um, the, you know, a lot of uh, when you deal with cryptozoology, a lot of people talk about what they refer to as the woo. Um, but um, and then that's that when you talk about mind speak and interdimensional portals and cloaking and things like that. While I don't dismiss that, I've never personally seen any anything like that. I don't say it can't happen because all we have is theory on, on these creatures. But I'm more of a flesh and blood physical creature. I look for physical evidence. Uh, so me personally, I think they're a flesh and blood creature. I think they've been around for a very long time. What kind of physical evidence do uh have you seen other than, well, we have some videotape uh, evidence that you took. We found uh, tracks, uh, claw marks on trees that were far too wide to be a black bear. Uh, we don't have grizzlies in Missouri. There hasn't been a grizzly sighting in Missouri since the mid 1800s. Um, black bears don't get big enough to leave claw marks, you know, eight to nine inches across on a tree. That's just, that, that would be a massive black bear. And you just don't see them get that big, not around here anyway. Uh, but, you know, if you go to the NADP website, which is NorthAmericanDogmanProject.com, uh, there are pictures of some of the tracks and castings that have been made, uh, as well as a lot of eyewitness accounts. And um, I think because of the number of sightings of these creatures, including Bigfoot, uh, over the years, I think it is far too many to just dismiss them. You, you know, the even even evidence and and uh, and, and uh, stories passed down by Native American tribes talk about these creatures. So I think for us to just, you know, be dismissive and say it can't be out there, I think that's kind of ridiculous because there's so much land on the North American continent that we haven't explored. I mean, we like to think we're the masters of our domain. We've got our road system and our cities, but you can look from a satellite map and see massive swaths of deep forest that probably haven't seen human contact in, in decades, if at all. That's so true. The fact that you have regions for the uh, North American Dogman Project and you're director of region too. I mean, how big an organization is this? How many regions are there? There are five regions across the U.S. Um, I'm the Mid Midwest director, which basically covers all the Midwest states. Um, but, you know, since, you know, there's so many... Um, stories that appear all over the United States, we, we tend to share information among the regions because if something is, for example, um, I'm very, I'm within six hours of land between the lakes, even though that's not technically in my region. If there's a report from that area, it's actually easier for me to go investigate it than it is for Nick who lives in New Jersey. Right, right. So we have like, for example, with when it comes to UFOs, there's a national UFO reporting center and mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's- And of course, MUFON. Right, right. And, you know, like a guy like Peter Davenport, they've had, mm -hmm. you know, he's got the telephone, a landline telephone, and people call, and he listens, and he records everything, and it goes up on the website. How does it work at North American Dogmen Project? How do people report? We generally uh, have a, um, a form on the on the, the website where you can fill out the form and, re, re, and report your encounter. And if it's an active encounter, that it's something that's happening currently, uh, we try to get field investigative teams out to go out and investigate the the location. But if it's something that happened back, you know, in 1972 or something like that, we'll just take the take the report and file it with our, you know, with the other database that we have, uh, because you know it's hard to. This is all done on our on our own dime. It's not like we've got federal funding to do any of this. So we, you know, I can't just drop everything and take off to investigate a 40 year old 
40-year-old siding. However, if it's something that was peering in their window the night before, yeah, we'll try to get somebody out there as quick as we can because it might still be in the area. When was the most recent Dogman report in Region 2? Trying to remember. I think the most recent one came from up in Wisconsin, uh, daytime sighting. Uh, somebody saw one cross the road right in front of their car. So did you send a field um, investigator up there? I know some people that are part of uh, part of the NADP in that area, uh, the Wisconsin uh, the Wisconsin chapter, and I forwarded the information to them. To them, I haven't heard back from them yet. I mentioned earlier. I know a number of police or former law enforcement that are involved in cryptozoology and 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 the paranormal and so forth. Uh, why is that? I think it's because we're naturally curious, uh, if, especially if something unexplainable happens that you don't want to put in a report, you might file it away later. And, uh, you know, a lot of like deputy sheriffs spend a lot of time on those back roads in the woods, you know, because you don't just patrol the cities as a deputy sheriff, you patrol the county. Uh, and I, I think there's a large number of officers who have seen things, but they didn't want to put it in an official report because they think you're crazy. Well, how do you put that in an official report if um I don't know. Uh, let's say, um, you know, someone has veered off the road and they claim that they were swerving to avoid hitting a Bigfoot or a dogman. I don't know. Maybe they encountered a dogman and they, I don't know, they slashed the tires or something. I mean, how do you, that? and that's their eyewitness testimony. How do you report that? We, um, we generally report it as an unknown animal, uh, but then we will put direct quotes from the person. And, you know, the, the, the uh, report will go up, you know, up the chain of command. And from there, they'll disseminate it as needed. Uh, but generally, uh, you know, a lot of people, if they see something like that, will refuse to tell you what they saw, thought it was. Um, they don't want you to think they're crazy. So if they saw something strange cross the road, there's like, I don't know, some kind of animal. You know, they say that if you if you get a doctor or a nurse to speak off the record, they'll tell you about the strange things they've seen in the ER, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, spirits leaving the body or, you know, near-death experiences and all that kind of stuff. They won't say it publicly. Is it the same with police? Like when you guys get together, maybe at a, at a barbecue or something, ex-police officers or former um, law enforcement, do you, do you talk about this stuff? Well, even when I was still uh, an active officer, if we would go to like a training, we, we go to other locations to do training. Uh, like, you know, if uh, someone's hosting, say, um, a use of force training, you'll, you know, a lot of officers will go to other agencies to get these trainings. So you get to meet a lot of officers from outside your area. Uh, so I, I, over the years, I met a lot of really good people. Uh, and sometimes they would have some really interesting stories. Can you share one? Absolutely. I can't tell you the guy's name because he told me, you know, he didn't want me to ever use his name. Uh, but he was a deputy sheriff here in here in Southern Missouri, and he went out one morning early uh, to go deer hunting. He was a lifelong deer hunter, grew up in the woods, and he got up in his deer stand. It was about 12, he said between 12 and 15 feet off the ground, and he was afraid that he would drop his lunchbox. He had one of those, those soft-sided cooler lunchboxes with a strap, so he wrapped the strap around his leg so it wouldn't fall, and he said he dozed off in the in the uh, tree stand waiting for waiting for daylight. And said he woke up because he felt something tugging at that strap, like something was trying to pull his lunchbox away. He said he opened his eyes and looked down, and there was a Bigfoot at the base of his tree stand, and its head was level with his knee. Oh, wow. <laughs> I said, what'd you do? He said, I gave it the lunchbox. <laughs> I bet. And uh, he said that uh, 
you know, once it walked away with his lunchbox, he climbed down out of the deer stand and walked out of the woods. I said, I said, do you ever go back? He said, no, I actually, I sold my deer hunting equipment. I refuse to go back. If you want that deer stand, it's still out there. Wow. Amazing. A lifelong deer hunter who refuses to go back in the woods now. Amazing. When you're writing, do you ever frighten yourself? <laughs> I've, I've had instances where I've given myself the creeps. Like if you're, I write a lot of times with noise canceling headphones because my wife and sons live here and I, I don't always have the quiet I need to focus. So I use a lot of noise canceling headphones, but it, once in a while I'll write a scene and I'll have to, have to get up and go talk to the wife. I'm like, Hey, I think I creep myself out a little bit, but uh, more often than not, the things that usually upset me when I'm writing is the death of a favorite character, because sometimes the story just takes it that direction. And I've had a, a few emotional death scenes where I had to walk away from the keyboard for a while and, and, and let it, let it soak in. Wow. So you, you just put um, dark moon to bed for uh, apex predators back mm -hmm. earlier this summer. What's, what's your next project? Well, what I'm currently working on is a sci-fi series. It's called Man's Marauders. It's it's um, a high-tech, basically mercenary unit that uh, travels uh, fighting different battles. Uh, it's going to be an ongoing series. Uh, but immediately after I finish that, I'm hoping to put that put that book uh, to end edits in the next couple of weeks. Uh, immediately on the heels of that will be the next Codename Wild Hunt book. It's going to be called Codename Wild Hunt, Death and Dyatlov Pass. Now that COVID's over... Are you getting back out on the road and speaking at conventions? Absolutely. In fact, we just came back from one last weekend. It was the first annual first annual Dogman Cryptid Conference in Paris, Tennessee. It was hosted by the by Josh Turner from Paranormal Roundtable and Ken Gerhardt, who's a noted noted cryptozoologist. It was an absolute wonderful time. Met a lot of great people. Um, was just overwhelmed with the number of people that were excited because we were there with books and I, I did a presentation, talked about my dog man experience and it was just an absolute great time. We met a lot. Like I said, met a lot of fantastic people, got to hang out with guys like Lyle Blackburn and Ken, and Ken Gerhard and, and um, Nick Valente was there from the North American dog man project, just some amazing speakers. Um, it was an absolute wonderful time. How do we listen to the podcast? Uh, you can check out my podcast. You can find links to my podcast as well as all my books through my website, which is daroberts.net, or you can go to youtube.com and so either search DA Roberts author or DAX Machina. It'll come up both ways. DA, always a pleasure. Thank you for hanging out. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. DA Roberts, daroberts.net. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.